0: and welcome to How to Win 2024. It's Thursday, February 1st. It's February. I'm Jennifer palmeri and I'm here with my co-host, Claire McCaskill. Hi,
1: Claire. Happy February. Hey! No, no, it's not happy February. It's happy Super Bowl week. My team that everybody loves to hate now is going back to the People Super Bowl. People don't hate the
0: Chiefs. A lot
1: of them do. People are tired of them winning, but you know, haters are going to hate, hate, hate. And I'm getting a huge kick out of MAGA deciding it's a brilliant campaign strategy to make the most popular entertainer in America the enemy. I mean, you know, hello, gender gap. And it's all these crazy freaking conspiracy stuff. Just get it, leave them alone. They're having a relationship, they're both good at what they do. And by the way, I love it that my chiefs are the underdog again. So. Go Chiefs. Okay,
0: there's so so many things ridiculous. First of all, it kind of feels like MAGA may have broken this week. First of all, the conspiracy theory is so absurd that the relationship is fake and that the Kansas City Chiefs are somehow in on this conspiracy to help Joe Biden win the election and that all of MAGA world should be rooting for the San Francisco 49ers. And then also, what do you hate about this woman who's just supporting her boyfriend. Right. It's like she couldn't be in a more traditional role right now is
1: like just like sitting there on the sidelines in her sweatshirt cheering for her boyfriend. My favorite of the people on my timeline on Twitter saying, well, you know, she works for the government. She's Psyop. And I'm going, in what world, in what world does a woman who is independently wildly successful say, yeah, oh, I want a gig with the federal government because I need the money? I mean, this woman's a billionaire. Yeah. On her
0: own. She needs no money. But 49ers, you know, I grew up in the Bay Area. I was there during the glory years. You know, my whole family are 49er faithful. But this is what happened four years ago, 2020. Chiefs, 49ers, Niners 21 points up in the fourth quarter and then just collapsed. But in the ultimate game, Joe Biden won the election that year. So... I will be okay if your chiefs win because maybe it means so will Biden.
1: Exactly. Chiefs win, America wins. That's all you're saying, right, Claire? That's right. Chiefs win, America (laughs) wins. So this Saturday before the Super Bowl, the day before the South Carolina primary voters head to the polls for the Democrats. People don't realize that, but they're, they're voting this Saturday. But the weird thing is the Republicans don't vote until the end of February. So it's a big split in the dates in South Carolina. But next week... You have both the Democrats and Republicans doing stuff in Nevada, and it's weird. It's squirrely. It makes no sense. So we're going to take a look at that. We're going to have John Ralston join us, a journalist who knows everything about Nevada politics. He's going to join us and hopefully explain to us what the hell's going on in Nevada. Yeah, he's just like he's the dude.
0: And we're also going to spotlight candidate Joe Biden. Now that the president's reelection campaign has shifted into high gear, there are some interesting strategies. Challenges, some key moments shaping Biden's journey so far in the 2024 presidential race that are important to note. But first, we've got some winners and losers to chat about. Who's your winner this week?
1: You know, I think the winners are the lawyers. When I say the lawyers, I'm talking about the lawyers who have brought these cases to enforce the rule of law against Donald Trump, both civilly and criminally. And people don't realize the civil lawyers who are bringing these suits—they have to fund these cases themselves. They go in their own pockets to fund these lawsuits, and they're expensive. And if they don't win, they're just out that money. So they take a risk and they've done a great job. I think they've really dented his campaign strategy of trying to use the campaign courtroom, so to speak, make the courtroom the basis of his campaign. I think we saw with the jury verdict when they got a chance to see the jerk in person. I think it cost him real money because he behaved like an (laughs) idiot in the courtroom. Surprise, surprise. So all of those lawyers, whether they're prosecutors or whether they're civil lawyers that are doing what we should do in this country and making the rule of law apply to everybody, no matter how powerful or rich you are, it should be the same for everybody. And prosecutors should enforce the law without fear or favor. And I think it's time that we give them a nod. So they're, I think they're the winners this week.
0: I would say just, I thought, you know, when I see E. Jean Carroll talk about being in the courtroom and how she had nightmares the night before she had to face him and how anxiety provoking that was and she was scared to do it. And then she got up into the witness chair and looked at him and it was like, he's nothing, right? It has taken him down from the stage where he's always normally behind a podium and made him immortal and he looks pretty, he looks weak. I would also note there was a South Carolina poll that came out this morning, a Mammoth poll, and it showed that guess what? 40% of republicans in south carolina that were polled said that they would not support trump if he was convicted of something. So that trend is also continuing. We saw that in Iowa, we saw that in New Hampshire, and now in South Carolina. Okay, before we move on to loser for the week, we have some honorable mentions. Claire, you had an honorable mention you wanted to bring up.
1: Yeah, I think Nikki Haley has finally figured it out, but it's just too late. The grumpy old men campaign. Oh, I think that would work for her if she would have started it a year ago. But the ads are I think, will be very effective. And I get the theme. The titles of some of the ads are stumbling seniors, basement buddies, and uh, trying to make them into politicians as if she isn't. What's your honorable mention? Liz Cheney. And she just has Liz Cheney has
0: A plus trolling. And what I love is like she's super committed to it. So yesterday she just tweets, Taylor Swift is a national treasure. That's it just throw some gas on this fire. People are starting to like dial down on the Taylor Swift obsession. And Liz Cheney like, oh, let me add my voice to this because that will like freak all of Maca world out. But then also she just she went after Elise Stefanik. And again, it just shows like a lot of commitment. She last weekend, apropos of nothing, Cheney pointed out which Stefanik had said about uh, her Jan 6 statement. She put a statement out on January 7th, very critical of President Trump, very concerned about what happened on January 6th, 2021. And so then Stefanik deletes it. And then like Cheney comes back and it's like, she's deleted it. And then Cheney comes back another time and says, by the way, she's wiped clean all of the press releases from 2021 from her website. She just won't give up. You know, maybe Stefanik will be Trump's running mate, maybe not. But it just shows dedication that Cheney has to going after the MAGA team. And I'm super into it.
1: So the losers. Yeah, the losers. Definitely the House impeachment of Mayorkas. This is really distorting the Constitution beyond recognition. They know there's no high crimes and misdemeanors, even, conserv- even the Wall Street Journal editorial board and conservative people like Dershowitz and the, all the ones who have been MAGA, Turley, all of those yahoos. Yeah,
0: all, this, all the lawyers that have been saying like it,
1: how terrible it is. But no, this is just political posturing on their part. And if they get the votes, and those Biden Republican district people should be careful here, but if they get the votes to impeach, keep in mind this trial has to start right away in the Senate. It's a privileged action. So here Mm -hmm. we have the government shutting down March 1st. Uh, We have all of that happening, and they're going to have to drop everything and do a pretend trial of somebody who has done nothing wrong other than enforce policies that people disagree with. It is really bad, and it is really disappointing that the Republicans seem to all be on board for this. We'll see how it plays out. And
0: Congressman Eric Swalwell, Democrat, who was on the Homeland Security hearing, he sort of crystallized a good pushback here. Hear sound from that.
2: We just have to make it clear to the American people These allegations are really about one man's petty, petty grievances. He didn't win the last election. He was blown out by 70-plus electoral votes and 7 million-plus popular votes. And now he has to continue the insurrection that he led on January 6th by trying to get rid of the Secretary of Homeland Security today so that he can worsen the crisis at the border and weaponize it rather than govern and solve it.
0: And a Republican congressman from Texas, August Pfluger. here's what he has to say.
2: This isn't a policy issue. This is failure to comply with laws that are on the books, which is why we are proceeding with the impeachment of Alejandro Mayorkas.
0: And the the other problem with this is that it just compounds the hypocrisy on the ridiculous border security bill machinations, because they're saying they've always said that there needs to be a change. And they're accusing Mayorkas of not enforcing policy. But then at the same time, they have said we need new legislation to have a more aggressive policy, which is on the table. And now they are opposing that legislation because Trump doesn't want to give Biden a win. And they're trying to impeach Mayorkas for not enforcing policy that doesn't exist because they won't pass it.
1: Yeah, they're. Big losers. So we've got to take a quick break. But when we come back, Nevada expert and founder of the Nevada Independent, John Ralston, joins me and Jen for a look at the wild world of how Nevada is picking its presidential candidates. We'll be back in a moment.
2: Welcome
1: back. As I mentioned at the top, the Nevada primaries and the Republican Party's choice to continue to caucus is really weird and squirrely and very confusing. Nobody really knows what the hell's going on. Nevada was a caucus state in the past, but the legislature changed that in 2021 to try to get voters more access to the ballot. Sounds easy, but the Nevada GOP read between the lines, the orange guy at the golf course, didn't like that. So they are not recognizing the primary results and instead holding a caucus two days later.
0: So to talk about why that is and what this process looks like, we're joined by John Ralston. John is Mr. Nevada. There are reporters who just sort of own their states and are seen as the definitive oracle of their states. And there's just no one on par with John Ralston and uh, his relationship with Nevada politics. He is the founder and CEO of the Nevada Independent. He's been covering politics in Nevada for more than 35 years. His blog, Ralston Reports, lives at the Nevada Independent. Follow it is the end-all-be-all of Nevada politics. I've had some run-ins with him in the past, but we're all friends now. John, thank you so much for joining us today. And I want to say that when I was in the Clinton campaign eight years ago, we got into a little trouble with John Ralston because we were not so sure we were going to do well in the Nevada caucuses. And so you did what you're supposed to do, which is you want to manage expectations. And so our press secretary, Brian Fallon, did an interview where he talked about how we could not do well in Nevada, maybe, or for reasons why we might not do well in Nevada, or maybe maybe why Bernie Sanders would do better because it was a caucus state and it was going to be okay. We could survive and continue to win. And John Ralston just lit us up. He
1: roasted your (laughs) ass is what he did. He Mm. roasted your ass, as he should have. Oh, it was like, it was, oh, it was terrible. But
0: um, I'm so glad that we're over our fight from eight years ago. Yay.
3: I'm a little worried, Jen, that this is your revenge somehow. And I better be prepared (laughs) for you bringing, exhuming things from my past to get back at at me.
0: (laughs) We deserved it. Also, by the way, we won the Nevada caucuses. We did really well. Hillary did really well. We won. It was like all good. So like. Explain to us what is happening next week, because there are three different things, right? There's what the Dems are doing and then the two things the Republicans are doing. So can you explain what's happening?
3: Well, uh, Senator McCaskill is correct in that nobody knows what the hell is going on. And I I may be included in the nobody knows what the hell is going on. But I will tell you uh, this much. We were a caucus state, as you mentioned, for many, many years. And then After the disaster in Iowa in 2020 with the caucus and then the Democrats here were going to use the same system, Harry Reid, the late Harry Reid, who controlled everything, as you know, Mm -hmm. said, listen, we got to change this. We got to be a primary. And as you know, Nevada wanted to move up to first. And so being a primary would have helped in that way. So the Democrats controlled the legislature. There was a Democratic governor. They passed a bill to change it to a primary. But there was bipartisan support for that, by the way. Mm -hmm. Republicans voted for it in both houses. Now, not a majority of Republicans, but they did. And then suddenly the Republicans said, we're not going to do this. Uh, We're going to have our own caucus. And the the question was, why were were they going to split away? So the ostensible reason was that the law of the past allowed either party to choose their delegates to the National Convention however they wanted. So they used that loophole. Mm-hmm. But they also, again, raised the vague issues of election integrity and all the nonsense that they brought up uh, in 2020, saying because the state was running the primary Democratic secretary of state, we don't trust him. But the real reason was because we are a universal mail ballot state. Now, every Republican gets a ballot, They were worried that in that larger universe, maybe Trump Mm. wouldn't be able to control it as well as he could a small caucus universe. Plus one last thing, the state party here, like many state parties, as both of you know, around the country is totally controlled by Trump folks. The chairman, Michael McDonald, is a longtime Trump guy. The Republican National Committee woman is a Trump person. And so was the National Committee. And so There was a lot of thought that they just want to control this. And, And the Trump campaign has done this across the country, but it's especially true in Nevada.
1: So let me ask a couple of questions here. I'm curious how you think Trump is doing in the state overall versus Biden. I'm curious about how the Democratic Party is going to do out there with the giant hole that was created with Harry Reid passing. He always had it organized and funded and highly professional, and I know there was a huge schism in the leadership of the Democratic Party inside of Nevada. And then the other one I'm really curious about is, how is Jackie Rosen going
3: to do? Wow, you asked a lot there. You've probably seen some of the recent polls that show Trump beating Biden in Nevada. The New York Times did one a couple months back that showed him up double digits, and the Morning Consult Bloomberg poll showed him up by eight points this week. I don't think either of those are right. But I will tell you, and I wrote a piece in The Atlantic about this, the Democrats are worried about some of the shifting demographics in Nevada that make this more in play for Trump than it was when when Biden won by two and a half and Hillary won by two and a half identical margins, which are smaller than the margins that Obama won here. So they're concerned. And so I think, you know, the state is a toss up where one of the Six or seven states, you know, eight states maybe that will determine the election. It's going to be close. But the Democrats here are concerned. What's that
0: about, John? When you say demographic changes, what are the demographic changes?
3: Well, there's been an explosion of independent voters in this state. The Democrats Mm -hmm. used to have a very large margin in registered voters. That has dropped below 2% now. It used to be up almost close to double digits at times that I've covered it. And, you know, these independents, they're hard to find. Are they new
0: independents? Are they new people who moved to the state? Or are they people who have been there and now they've become independent?
3: It's a really good question. And it's not that clear because a motor voter law was passed that if you don't register to vote with the DMV, they default you to nonpartisan. And so they're trying to get a handle on, you know, this is metaphoric, not literal, dead voters. They're never going to vote. They don't even know that they were registered. And there's probably a lot of those. But the key to the 2022 election, as you both know, Catherine Cortez Masto holding on by only 8,000 votes was the Democratic machine. And this will get back to Senator McCaskill's question, was able to target those independents that they thought were actual Democrats. One of the reasons that Adam Laxalt lost that race is they ran a base election, didn't pay attention to the independents. The Reed machine is still intact. Rebecca Lamb, who both of you probably know is one of the yep. best political operatives in the country. She keeps saying she's going to retire mm-hmm. after the exhaustion of the political campaigns that both of you know, but she's still back and, and and she's very much involved. And so that the machine is still there. The problem that they have with Harry Reid not being around is he was able to fund that thing, right? He could he could make 10 phone calls in an hour and and get millions of dollars. They don't have that anymore. So that's a little difficult. So Uh, It's still there. It's formidable. But what the Republicans have this time that they have not had in the past, as you know, is a Republican governor because Joe Lombardo managed to squeak by by one and a half percentage points last time. And he is building his own infrastructure. Mm. Uh, And and is it the Reed machine? No, but it's at least something. And because of the incompetence of the state Republican Party in the past, they have not been able to mount any kind of challenge. To the reed machine. Now they have one. So, what does Jackie
1: Rosen? What do her opponents look like? What does that primary look like?
3: So that's the other thing that people tend to forget when they look at Nevada as a purple state and they say Jackie Rosen is in trouble and all the rest of it. Candidates matter. Both of you know that <laughs> as well as anybody. Adam Laxalt was a terrible candidate last time. People don't realize how bad he was. If they had put up anyone decent, you know, someone who didn't say on tape Roe versus Wade was always a joke. Uh, They might have beaten her. So Jackie Rosen, as you know, has not been in politics nearly as long as Catherine Cortez Masto, but she's learned a lot. She's a quick study. She's put some good people around her. She'll have the read machine around her. The problem the Republicans have is that the National Republican Senatorial Committee's chosen person is a guy who has barely lived in Nevada very long Mm. and has never won a race, either in Texas, where he used to live, or here, a guy named Sam Brown. But they are confronted with the alternative of a guy named Jim Marchant, who almost became secretary of state last time and is one of the worst election deniers, conspiracy theorists in the country. They are petrified, the NRSC, that is, that Marchant wins that primary because he's a MAGA guy and that Trump might endorse him. If that happens, Jackie Rosen is safe because the Republicans won't spend another dime here because he has no chance to win. Sam Brown has a great story to tell. He's a veteran who was badly scarred during his service, and he has built up some support. But he's no formidable candidate on paper. But we are a purple state. Anyone with an R after his or her name who is not Jim Marchand has a chance.
1: When are your primaries?
0: Yeah. Explain this and explain what happens next week,
3: John, because it's so confusing, like the Democrats and the Republicans both. The primary for the U.S. Senate is in June, but the primary next week, which of course is just on February 6th, and then the caucus is on February 8th, you know, the early voting has already started. Mail ballots have been returned more than 110,000, I believe, people have already voted in the primary.
0: And that's both the Democrats and the Republicans are on that's Tuesday, February 6th. And they are already early voting. The Vice President Harris was there for the weekend to kick off early voting. Right. And Haley is in the primary and Trump is not, the Republican primary.
3: That's correct. When the caucus was first announced, and they did something else I should mention, people should know what that caucus, they created an extortion fee for candidates. They had to pay $55,000 to be on the caucus ballot and also agree not to be on the primary ballot. And so this is for the Republicans. Yeah,
0: it's nuts, right? Haley didn't do it. Haley chose to be in the primary, not the caucus. Trump's doing the caucus, paid the $55,000.
3: So what happened real quickly is immediately the late, great Vivek said he was going to be in the caucus, paid the 55 grand. Then Trump said, of course, I'm going to be it. And DeSantis, making one of, you know, how many strategic errors that he made in his campaign decided to be in the caucus as well. Tim Scott, Mike Pence, and then late Haley went into the primary. But now- And I've written about this fact. I wrote about it again this morning. I think Haley has made a huge mistake. She's the only one left in that primary. She should have invested minimal resources here, said Trump was too chicken to take her on in the primary and had to Mm -hmm. have his own state party create this smaller electorate for him. But she spent no money here. And she has dissed the state essentially saying it's not fair. She's right. The caucus is not fair. But She now faces the danger of losing a primary with no other candidates to what? None of these candidates, which is this goofy, super weird thing that Nevada has. And the governor, who has endorsed Trump and others, are running a vote for none of the above in the primary to make Haley look bad. That never would have happened if she'd invested just minimal resources here. She could have declared victory, said Trump was a chicken, and at least tried to get some momentum from that going into South Carolina. So I think she made a huge mistake mistake. Not as big as Clinton in 08 here, but big. (laughs) We won. won. Sounds like she
1: needs the John Ralston We Matter lecture.
3: Exactly. Exactly.
1: So that's really interesting stuff. And I think it's one thing we haven't talked about enough on this podcast is the effort that Trump has made behind the curtain to rig the primary system to his benefit. The winner take all states are going to decimate her. Uh, Haley, cannot survive the winner-take-all. And he was busy over the last four years converting many of these states to winner-take-all. One last question for you, John. Tell us about the laws in Nevada as it relates to open primaries. Can a Democrat vote in the Republican primary in June for the primaries for the Senate? Can Democrats go in and vote for the bad candidate if they
3: want to, or is it a closed primary state? Closed primary state, but with same day registration. And so you can register as a Democrat or a Republican, despite what party you might be at the time, and then vote in the primary. There have been talk of campaigns to do that in the past. It's never happened. But you can't vote in the primary and in the caucus? You can vote in both. I mean, Mm. you want this to be even crazier? Yeah, you can vote in both. In fact, the Trump campaign said that the secretary of state was guilty of what they called election interference because there is a warning on the primary ballot that you cannot vote twice. So they said that they were trying to suppress the caucus turnout, which, of course, is nonsense. State law says you have to print on the sample ballot that you can't vote twice. There are two separate elections, though. So that's how Republicans can vote twice. And they can't see you. But Jen is shaking her head. And that is what I have been doing for the last (laughs) year or so watching this. It gives new meaning to what happens in Vegas should stay in Vegas. <laughs> that's you know? Something like that. I mean, that's
1: ridiculous.
3: Yes, all yes. Right, we are
0: let John go, but let me make sure that we understand all this.
1: On Tuesday, February
0: 6th, there is going to be a Democratic primary and a Republican primary. Joe Biden, Kamala Harris are on the ballot. They will presumably win. They will accrue delegates to becoming the nominee. Nikki Haley and I don't want any of the other ones are also on the ballot on Tuesday. It doesn't matter what happens there because that is not the sanctioned Republican contest. The sanctioned Republican contest happens on Thursday, February 8th. It's a caucus. And whoever wins the caucus will accrue delegates, winner take all for the Republican nomination. Trump is on the ballot for the caucus and Haley is not. Is that correct?
3: All of that is correct, except I would quibble with one thing that you said oh. that a lot of people are saying, Always. which is that it doesn't matter, that primary doesn't matter. Okay. I would argue, oh, well, and you I know should, this better. I, can't than, believe I said that. No, but you didn't say those exact words, but you said it doesn't count, but it could have counted in the sense of, Jen, you know this better than anybody. You went back to 2008. Sure. Delegates don't matter nearly as much in these early states as getting the narrative, getting momentum right. going. Going into South Carolina. She could have got some momentum but, going to yes, South Carolina. We yeah. have 26 delegates out of the twelve fifteen needed, but a win in Nevada going into South Carolina where Trump is beating her by a lot. Maybe that could have flipped the script. I know it's a long shot, but do something. Don't do nothing.
1: Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. But I think she's made a lot of mistakes, like not campaigning against the guy she was trying to beat. That's kind of like politics 101. I mean, I don't know how dumb you can get. So we have one last question for you before we have to let you go. First, we're very grateful that you took some time with us. Uh, You are the guru out there and we all respect that. So who
3: you like, Chiefs or 49ers? Ooh, this is a very painful question for me to answer because I am a lifetime, meaning more than half a century Buffalo Bills fan. And I'm still getting over the Chiefs beating them, but I think the Chiefs are going to win. There you go.
1: From your
0: mouth to God's ear. I mean, I'm a 49er fan, (laughs) but you know, like I said before, last time this happened, the Chiefs won and so did Biden. So I'll be happy with
1: whatever. (laughs) John, I will see you next week in Vegas. Looking forward to that. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, John. Thanks for having me. John Ralston, founder and CEO of the Nevada Independent. Uh, Thanks so much for joining us today. We're going to take a quick break, but when we come back, Jen and I want to spotlight candidate Biden. He has stepped onto the scene this week and he is getting tough. Stay tuned. Welcome back. Last week, we talked about the Biden campaign's intensified messaging for 2024. And this week, the campaign really hit the ground running. Biden heads to Michigan today after stops in Wisconsin last week and South Carolina over the weekend. What stands out to you, Jen? What's going on here that really is going to make a difference in terms of him winning in 2024?
0: So I feel like there's a combination of things. First of all, he personally, Biden, is aggressively going after Trump. The word Trump comes out of his mouth, right? And that for a while, that was not true. And that started in January. And then you see he is doing this from the podium but also his team, the rapid response team on Twitter. Again, I've talked about this before. It's the Biden-Harris reelect account. It's very good. Like there is no time that goes by if Trump says something crazy or a Democrat says something helpful that these people are not pumping it out. And it's not cringy. It's smart. It's sort of in the Biden ethos, but it's punchy and good. And it bothers Trump. It's getting under his skin. But the president was in South Carolina over the weekend. He had a pretty fiery speech taking aim at Trump. It's a level of aggression we haven't seen before, but it suits Biden. And he was talking about, you know, this like where Biden really gets worked up is when Trump goes after veterans. Right. And so we had this clip from President Biden on Trump refusing to visit Paris Cemetery for fallen American soldiers. Donald
2: Trump, when he was commander in chief, refused to visit a cemetery, U.S. cemetery outside of Paris for fallen American soldiers. And he referred to those heroes, and I quote, As suckers and losers. He actually said that. He said that. How dare he say that? How dare he talk about my son and all of us like that? Look, I call them patriots and heroes. The only loser I see is Donald Trump.
0: So there's a combination of the campaign being punchier, him going after Trump in a big way, The stronger stance on the border, I feel like Trump is now responding to Biden on that. And that is a big change. That puts Biden on the offensive on the issue that Democrats are the most vulnerable, right? I don't think Democrats can win on this issue, but you can neutralize it. You know, and then, of course, you have Haley, who's punching Trump and the court cases that are going against Trump. And so he just seems weaker,
1: Yeah. And on immigration, clearly the Biden administration is working towards some wins here. Obviously him taking an aggressive stance saying, give me the tools, pass this bill and I'll shut the border down. But also they're working hard on Mexico. And Mexico now is interdicting a huge number of immigrants who are trying to come through Mexico. They're disrupting the bus traffic. They are deporting Mm. people. They're not allowing them to go through Mexico to get to our southern border. And they've already had an impact. The numbers are way down in January because of what Mexico is doing. So if he can actually show how the numbers go down between now and when this advertising ramps up, you're right. He's never going to win on immigration, but he can take the sting out of it because the numbers have been overwhelming and most Americans are upset about it. So we can't ignore it. I think a lot of people in our party, especially those on the further edges of our party on the left, want to ignore that this is an issue to the voters we have to have to hold the White House.
0: And this is like what I said earlier about how it feels like MAGA sort of breaking down. Immigration, which has been this biggest vulnerability, they've gotten themselves, the Republicans, House Republicans and Trump have gotten themselves so wrapped around the axle on this it's becoming apparent, you know, it's like a combination of like when Trump runs in with the House Republicans, that is where things really start to break through and people say like, oh, wait, they're completely full of it. They have no intention of solving this problem. They're compounding it by trying to impeach Mayorkas. They're not getting anything done. And this is all looping back to Trump in a way that he used to not be the establishment guy. He used to be able to distance himself from the dysfunction in politics. And now he's owning all of it in a way that he hasn't before. So I feel like that's also helping Biden. And then the other thing I've noticed, Claire, is they've gotten the president out from behind the podium some. But what they're doing is he'll go to a city like he went to Wisconsin. He did a speech talking about infrastructure, went to a bridge. But then he also went to a small business that's going to benefit from the bridge being built because it like gets him traffic. It was a brewery. And then they released a video of the president at the brewery talking with the brewery owners, just mingling with the customers. It's beautifully shot. He looks good. He looks strong. He looks like a human. And then they put that out on social. And so they are putting the president in the settings that where he looks the best, doing things that Trump doesn't do. And then they're being really aggressive about how they share all this. So this is the earliest general election, earliest state campaign has gotten staffed up. Everybody was complaining in late 2023 that the Biden team is behind the ball, but they are staffed. They are doing smart things. It's starting to break through. But that is just the way he is, what their events look like and how they're using the footage from them. It's a big change. It's a big deal.
1: Yeah, and they're starting to reserve $250 million of advertising. That is a record amount that the campaign will be deploying And he's continuing to tout his accomplishments, which I don't think they can ignore. Uh, Let's listen to Biden talking about his wins.
2: Folks, the bottom line is our economy has grown more in the last six months than it ever did at any point in Trump's entire four years in office. 800,000 new manufacturing jobs and counting. Good paying jobs. Record unemployment, including the lowest levels of black unemployment ever recorded in American history. 40,000 projects across American county, rebuilding our roads and our bridges, affordable high-speed internet everywhere in America. We passed the most significant gun safety law in decades. Promises made and promises kept. So most
1: of his comments at the South Carolina Democratic First in the Nation celebration dinner, most of the president's Mm -hmm. comments centered on his economic achievements. And you can bet your bottom patootie that he talked about those things that polled really strongly, particularly among the voters. We have to get enthusiastic and make sure they remain enthusiastic. Decreasing inflation, providing stimulus checks back in the dark days of covid ushering in the lowest wealth gap in 20 years and 14 million new jobs, record Mm -hmm. number of new jobs. So I think it's a two punch. It's going after Trump for being a big loser and touting the accomplishments, which are real, whether it's the infrastructure whether it's all these economic indicators that are positive. And you see consumer confidence now going up. Yeah. If he can stay on this trajectory, that's a really big deal. I think it looks really good. So the Biden campaign is off to the races in earnest. And I give my stamp of approval. I think you give your stamp of approval that they're doing this now in a way that makes a lot more sense.
0: Yeah. Of course, if I were them, I I would be freaking out. I'd be like, oh, no, it's only February. We don't want to be doing this good in February. We want to be doing this well in September. You know, there'll be ups and downs and the economy will, you know, something will happen and gas prices will spike. But it's like, are you doing well with the things that are in your control? Right. Right. And so, like, right now, they are doing well with the things that are under their control. So that is what you got to do if you're going to win. There you go. Thanks so much for listening. As always, if you have a question for us, you can send it to howtowinquestions at NBCUNI.com. Or you can leave us a voicemail at 646-974-4194, and we might answer it on the pod. And this is new. You can now subscribe to MSNBC's How to Win newsletter for weekly insights from the network's cadre of analysis, like me. With the drama this election season heating up, now's the perfect time to get expert analysis on key races sent straight to your inbox. So visit the link in our show notes to sign up. This show is
1: produced by Vicky Vergelina and Jessica Schrecker with production support from Ivy Green and Jamaris Perez. Katherine Anderson and Bob Mallory are our audio engineers. Our head of audio production is Bryson Barnes. Aisha Turner is the executive producer for MSNBC Audio. And Rebecca Cutler is the senior vice president for content strategy at MSNBC.
0: Search for How to Win 2024 wherever you get your podcasts and follow the series.